Hello everyone and welcome to Rad Chat. So welcome to podcast number 23. Thank you to all our listeners joining us. My name's Joe McNamara and I'm joined by my fellow hosts Naaman Jolka Anderson. Hello. A big thank you to our last guest Dr Liz O'Riordan who discussed her experience of cancer treatment and how healthcare professionals can help improve patient experience. So I'm a bit of a huge girl fan of you, me and the big C and I'm thrilled to announce that our guest for this evening is Steve Bland who's going to be discussing his experience of being a bystander to cancer, what support families and carers need and of course podcasting. So welcome to the podcast Steve, thank you so much for joining us especially as I believe you've just got back from Copenhagen and you've got some really good news to share with us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I got back, uh, we're recording this about, about one o'clock in the afternoon. I got back about two o'clock in the morning uh, from, yeah, a very nice, a, a very nice little trip to Copenhagen with, with my partner and, and now fiance, Amy. Yeah. It was now, very is this the first podcast you've been on to announce that you are now a fiance? It's the first, it's the first, I mean, yeah, pretty much the first people I've spoken to other than, other than, yeah, people that we spoke to while we're over there, but yeah. It is, yeah. Oh, claim to fame. I'm putting that <laughs> on my CV, Steve. <laughs> yeah, go on, take that, take that, yeah. So, Steve, for anyone out there who I can't believe any of our audience who kind of live and breathe oncology don't know who you are, can you start by introducing yourself? Uh, so, yeah, I'm I'm Steve Bland. I, I am now uh, one of the presenters of a BBC podcast called You, Me and the Big C, which was set up by my wife, uh, Rachel Bland, who uh, was a BBC presenter, um, she uh, she worked for Radio Five Live. She worked for BBC World, uh, Northwest Tonight, up here in the north uh, northwest of England. And um, in 2016, she was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer. Um, and uh, about a year into her treatment, she started the podcast, uh, started blogging, um, and 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 it got quite a lot of a lot of attention because of her story and and how honest uh, honest she was. Uh, started the podcast with with Deborah James, I'm sure people know, uh, Bow Babe on on social media, <clears throat> and also Lauren Marn, who was running a a community on social media called Girl Versus Cancer, which which is fantastic, offers offers amazing support to patients, and um and then yeah, just under two years after after a diagnosis, Rachel uh, died of uh, from her breast cancer, um and, and that was in in September of 2018. And uh, maybe I don't know what it was like four months, like three or four months after I I I sort of jumped in and and uh, you know helped the girls take it forward because we weren't really sure what to do with it. The girls didn't really know what to do with uh, with the podcast. Didn't really know how to kind of fill Rachel's chair metaphorically or or physically. And um, yeah, and I think I I hopefully added a bit of a different perspective. They were all going through their treatment at the time. Lauren isn't anymore. Deborah uh, Deborah still is, unfortunately. But I could offer a little bit of a different perspective from a male point of view, uh, firstly, but also from a you know point of view of someone kind of you know looking. I mean, yeah, looking in kind of thing from a you know caring for Rachel uh, as I had done. So um, yeah, I'm a journalist. I'm a I'm a podcast uh, producer. Um, and I try and do as much as I can with with cancer charities and things is to try and carry on a lot of the work that Rachel started. Thank you so much for telling us the story. And obviously, you know, for anyone who followed the podcast, they would have seen how much the impact of Rachel's death had on the listeners, the audience, the general public. It was it was quite well publicised. And 
I think Rachel dying almost highlighted that, you know, people who are in the public eye are susceptible to absolutely everything else that everyone else is. But I also think a lot of cancer patients resonated with her story or even being a carer or a relative of someone who's going through cancer because she was so open and honest about her experiences through the podcast. Mm. Did you did you support her being that open and honest? Um, I did. I did. It was, it was difficult at times. Um, I think it, a lot of it was her natural journalistic instinct. Um, she, she, uh, like I said, she was a, a, a presenter at Five Live and 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 various other bits of the BBC. So she had a sort of journalistic background, and and it kind of made sense for her to tell her story that way. And and uh, it's funny now you look back. I look at Instagram now, for example, and there's and there's loads of it. Young women, you know, some young guys as well, but mostly like young women sharing their cancer stories and being like really open and honest and you know, showing warts and all, showing everything. Um, but when Rachel was diagnosed and when they set the podcast up, when you know Deborah's got you know hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram now, back then she didn't, and that community wasn't there. People just weren't doing what they did, and and felt a little bit. Uh, I I can remember um, Rachel was doing her blog. The blog came first. It, it was called uh, Big C Little Me, and um, and I can remember at the first like you know three or four blog posts, everything was kind of going okay. She had her first chemotherapy. You know, talking about chemotherapy, talking about some of the side effects, about cold capping, um, uh, scalp cooling, all that kind of thing. And it was the first post after a scan that hadn't. Uh, 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 that had shown that the chemo wasn't working that well, and it was the, it was a post after that that I can remember like looking at uh, looking at her saying like do you, do you really want to be sharing this because all of a sudden it started to get you know started to get a little bit a bit real and I wasn't completely sure if we should for us you, you know share the bad news as well as the good but um, she uh, to her credit and she was totally right she said I can't you know I can't can't share the good bits if I'm not going to share the bad bits I've got to share it all I've got to uh, show people what what it's like because I uh, she felt that she couldn't always talk to people about you know the bad bits particularly and she didn't want that to be the case for the people she wanted to make it okay to talk about all you know everything that goes with um you know having breast cancer or having cancer and and I think it I mean it was totally you know totally vindicated what she did because you know the following um, it wasn't really about the following. It was more just, you know, the messages that we still get every single day from people who, you know, people who felt a lot more able to talk about it, a lot more able to uh, you know, be open about what was happening, and and they felt a bit less alone in than what they were going through because of what Rachel started. So, yeah, still massively proud of what she achieved. Steve, can I ask what was it like to be kind of a bystander to cancer? So in regards to kind of Rachel going through treatments, was there any time that you felt that actually you weren't getting the support that maybe you needed? Uh, it's very difficult because the, the, as much as, as much as the other half um, does need support, and I think it is it is probably there. I think partly uh, because I'm male and we don't go looking for help 
you know i i didn't really do anything about it but also partly because i i never wanted to put anything on to rachel you know to make her think that i was having a tough time you know she had a really tough time you know she had a um you know her her sort of ordeal was fairly terrible and and she you know she really struggled and she had you know lots of really low points and and she was one of those people i think who who struggled when she when she thought uh, that, uh, that she had uh you know when she thought that she'd sort of caused pain or or difficulty or anguish to somebody else she really struggled with that and i didn't want her to ever know that i was i was having a tough time she knew that i, I was because it's you know it's life-changing stuff but i i really try my best not to show that to her uh, i mean just because yeah, just because I, I i didn't want her to have to deal with that as well um i think the i it's funny it's it's like a lot of things with guys i think like mental health is something similar the support is there I did a podcast with a couple of a couple of lads who uh, one a guy called Danny who had cancer or has cancer still, and a lad called Joel uh, Joe 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 yeah whose uh, mum died from uh, breast cancer, and 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 like the conclude and it was all about getting guys talking and whether or not you know, there is enough support for people you know with cancer without cancer supporting people with cancer all that kind of thing, and like the the general conclusion was that actually guys do want to talk. And probably the support is is there, but but we need to tweet the way it's it's offered to men. I think we need to you know, we need to think about you know being a bit more explicit, a bit more you know maybe the way that maybe the way that you get a, a woman to talk isn't the same as you get a man to talk. Maybe the way that you 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 get a partner to open up is different to the way that you get somebody with cancer to open up. And I think maybe we need to think about. You know, just you know, just seeing if we can work out what the right forum is, what the right place is uh, uh, for other halves or or people like looking into a degree to uh, to speak. I know, listening to that podcast, one of the suggestions was if the football was on and you were down in the pub, blokes might have a better, deeper conversation over a pint in that situation than they would if they were in a counselling setting. And I thought that was actually really interesting. Yeah just because it maybe does lessen the emphasis that is placed on that situation of, right, and I have to talk about my feelings and things, whereas maybe when you are in a social setting where you feel a bit more relaxed, actually you are able then to kind of talk about how you really feel and not that, yeah, I'm fine, bat it off, kind of, I'm coping, as people expect you to when deep down actually you're crumbling and you're not coping and you're trying to hold it together because that's what people expect. That's exactly it, and I think it's just you know things, you know, mental health. There's a lot of discussion around mental health at the moment, isn't there? And I think you know that I went into that particular podcast episode thinking, you know, almost like with the point of view of of, of you know men are rubbish at talking, and and actually I don't I don't think that we are. I think I think that we just need we need a different way to do it. You know, I think in general we want to do it, um, and I think. I think that the right at the start of of the of Rachel's diagnosis, I can remember <clears throat> I remember being sat in the room at I think it was Macclesfield Hospital and being handed a you know a, a, a Macmillan leaflet, you know, saying, "Oh, by the way, we're here for you. We're here for you as well. We're here for to support you." And that's 
kind of all all I ever got. And 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 I think if you asked some of the charities, they'd say, "Oh, you know, there's all this all this great support. There's all this you know wonderful support for you know for other halves." But if you know, but if all you do all you're doing is sort of giving them a leaflet, you know, for men, I I think we're just never going to do anything with that. That's just going to get shoved in the bottom of a drawer. You know, that's the last you're going to see of it. So I think it needs to be a little bit more in your face. You know, when when if someone had, you know, when Rachel was diagnosed, if somebody had, had been there and actually, you know, grabbed me and said, let's go for a coffee, let's go for a beer and let's talk about this. I think maybe that might have been a bit more, uh, a bit more of a, of a productive thing. I think with my role, um, I do find that some of the male patients open up to me more, um, especially when yeah. it comes to, let's say, sexual dysfunction or sexual side effects from treatment, just because, yeah, uh, maybe a middle-aged man might not want to talk about his erection to a younger female kind of practitioner. Um, but the, I think we've talked about this a few times in the bystander effect on sort of the relative is you're watching it happen. Um, although you want to be able to help, you want to be able to do something, you can't always do, you know, you can't take an action about it all the time. Um, but exactly as you said in the podcast before, it's about creating that environment. So, you know, as you said, it's really nice to hear that maybe for future kind of recommendation could be someone just says, yeah, just let's just go for a walk. Even if it is just a walk or it's having a pint, watching the football, you know, whatever it is, it is. It's quite an individual way to look at how you need the support. I think that's quite nice to hear about the tailoring of it. That's it, yeah, because I think, and, and, and you know, I've got a really good group of friends, you know, all already supported, but they don't really have any idea what this feels like, you know, and, and I don't really want them to. You wouldn't, you wouldn't expect or want them to know, you know, how difficult um, it was. And I can remember a mate of mine said to me, actually, uh, uh, it's about six months after Rachel had died. He said, he said, I don't want to say it at the time, but like, you know, while she was ill, you looked, you, you looked ill as well. You looked, you looked white, you'd put on some weight. You just looked like you were having a really tough time. And I never really saw that, but it was interesting that he only kind of said that, you know, six months after, after she died. He, and he, and he's a really good friend. He's a, you know, he's a, he's a lovely, caring, but he didn't, you know, nothing happened then, you know, other than people saying, you know, oh, how, and how are you doing? And of course, then you just say, oh, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not that important in the grand scheme of things. And, and, um, when, you know, all the time you're, you're trying to, you know, trying to kind of carry everything and keep yourself together and keep working and, you know, we had a little baby at the time when Rachel was um, when Rachel was unwell. So it was, it was, um, yeah, it, it was a really, really, really tough time. But, uh, but, but I don't know if you know I'd go back and do anything differently because it's you just get on with it. You just get your head down and you you know you crack on, don't you? And you try your best. And yeah, that was that was kind of what we did. Did you go for any grief counselling afterwards, Steve? Was there any intervention that maybe? you tried to access after Rachel's death? I did. I went a few sessions, actually, um, with with a guy at um, had a hospice. Um, and uh, I, I just wanted to, I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't missing anything. I, I, I didn't want to be so arrogant as to think that I don't need this, you know, this kind of support. Um, I didn't, I, 
I was spending a lot of my time talking about Rachel after she died. So it, it, there was obviously a lot of profile, a lot of interest. Uh, we finished off her book just after she uh, after she died, and and there was a lot of stuff to do around that, a lot of publicity, a lot of interviews, a lot of a lot of talking, and I I sort of felt like I wasn't getting anything. And I was doing the podcast, of course. I was doing You Me and the Big C with the girls. So that was kind of a, you know, a, like a fairly kind of, that was something um, not too far away from being therapy itself. So I I didn't necessarily feel like I was getting anything different from this this guy that I didn't really know, you know, to the people who I was spending my life talking about Rachel to. So I, I did about four sessions and then and then sort of knocked it on the head. But it's it's definitely something that I'd be I'd, I'd be very open to in the future. I, I just I just didn't necessarily feel like at the time it was giving me anything. I suppose to, to talking about the grief counselling, um, it's I mean it sounds like you had it more after Rachel's death. Did you have anything towards the end of sort of Rachel's life, or did anything kind of come in between? Uh, not uh, not at all. No, I, and and actually. It never even crossed my mind, and I, I do wish it had. We did a podcast episode with Andrew Strauss, um, a former England cricketer, and his wife uh, Ruth died from uh, from lung cancer a little while after Rachel. And um, and and Andrew has Andrew and Ruth had two uh, uh, two young boys a bit older than my son, and 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 he went to see a, a grief a grief counsellor. Uh, before Ruth died, actually both of them did, uh, before Ruth died, uh, uh, primarily to talk about the children, talk about the impact of the children, you know, how to deal with that. Uh, but, you know, it, it was for Andrew and Ruth as well to try and, you know, help them um, deal with what was happening. And it, I'd never really, until Andrew said that, I'd never really thought about, I mean, it, it, it certainly never occurred to me while, you know, while Rachel was alive. But I think it's a really... A really great thing because um wonderful counselor they saw called jenny and and she um you know she was able to reassure them for example that the kids were going to be okay you know the kid you know it was going to be hard but the kids were going to be okay and i think for ruth particularly that would have been a massive weight off her shoulders because if she's anything like rachel that was a massive worry for rachel um so i think yeah there definitely is some well a lot of value i think in 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 you know, exploring counselling and that and that kind of thing before someone dies. You know, not waiting until until you're at rock bottom before seeking help. Yeah, um, there, there's a patient who I kind of got to know very well during COVID, um, and this was the same thing that although I think the palliative care team had already expressed to them that it might be coming around soon, um, the husband um, didn't quite know what was going on just as you said or hadn't understood that counseling and grief etc um you know it's a good thing to get into as soon as possible um and i think it's nice now there's more emphasis in this in practice so people know kind of what's there what's out there but that getting it early on is a really really important step as well yeah i think it definitely is i think it's just you know it's just like it's like anything any sort of disease or any or any any illness, any condition, if you, you get ahead of it and you you know you you're not waiting until until it's um you're fully taking you down before you you do something about it. So you know I think yeah when Andrew said that on our podcast, it really kind of made an impact. And I thought to myself, that's that's 
that's really, really, really good advice. I think, yeah, something that I would advise anybody to do. I suppose it goes into the bits about the good points, as you said. So obviously, Rachel was very open and honest about what's been happening, what's been going on, um, whereas other people may not have obviously done that with their friends and family. Um, so even those conversations earlier on, so people do know what's going around. And I know from experience, speaking to patients, when they express how they're trying to discuss it with their family or friends, not everyone knows what to say. And sometimes some people distance themselves or some people don't leave you alone. There, there's, you know, all the different kind of floating in and out of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's tough stuff, isn't it? But, you know, we we need to get better at talking about these things because it happens to all of us. And I think uh, for someone in Rachel's position, she found it really difficult not to be able to speak to people about it. I can remember having a um her chatting to her mum and her mum was her mum was you know in full-on denial mode which is understandable you know her daughter's got uh, uh, stage four cancer but her mum was in full-on denial mode and just and I remember Rachel just shouting at her saying mum I'm gonna die you need to you need to get on board with this you need to understand what's happening you know because I think the only way to the only way to actually you know to make the best of the time you've got you know, it's so cliched, isn't it? The only way to like make the best of the time that you've got is if you actually understand what's going on and you can't, you know, be in denial. And I, I was, yeah, that was often quite difficult, uh, but I, I was, I was very de determined uh, that I, as much as I possibly could, I made my peace with what was happening, you know, while it was happening. And I think that allowed us, us to then, you know, enjoy enjoy as much of life as we could yeah sharing um i suppose you, you touched on some really important points about support and counseling and grief counseling especially um i suppose moving with forward if you're happy to share you know at what point in life did you feel you could move on and explore life without rachel uh I, yeah the, moving yeah moving on is I, i've always kind of had a bit of a a bit of a kind of a problem with the phrase moving on um because it's never something that i'm gonna f um fully either want to leave behind or 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 be able to and i think uh but um but i was i was you know even when she was alive we had a lot of very open discussions about about how i you know, how she wanted me to uh, um, um, enjoy my life and how she wanted me to uh, make sure our little boy Freddie, who's who's six now, but was only two when she died, uh, make sure that he, you know, had a great life and enjoyed himself, and you know, had all the support and all the love, and all the excitement that he needed. Um, and and so it was it, it was really never an option to not, you know, to not um, try and enjoy life after she died, and um, and. Uh, I mean, for me, I, I was, I'm 41 now. So what was I when she died? I was, I was, I was 38. And, and if, I think it'd be, it'd be, it'd be pretty depressing if I just sort of packed it up and gave in at 38 and decided there was nothing, you know, nothing more out of life to, uh, to explore. So yeah, it, it was, it was really before she died. I think that both of us were very clear that I, I should, um, you know, try and make the most out of life that I could because I, you know, ultimately I'm the lucky one. I know, you know, Rachel doesn't get, he doesn't get to watch uh, our little boy grow up, uh, doesn't get to, 
and watch him you know ride a bike for the first time or go to university or go to school and all that kind of thing i'm the lucky one because i do get to do that so i've got to you know a, 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 a try and embrace that and try and use that as motivation to you know to enjoy life and make the most of it exactly and your little boy when everything was going on was there anything around counseling or grief support for him oh he was i mean he was tiny he he uh um so when she was diagnosed i think he was he was, he was about 14 months old and when she died it was a uh, about a week before his third birthday um so he was yeah he was tiny and um he didn't really get it i mean he understood that uh, she was ill you know we didn't try and uh, uh, keep anything from him um it, it, i didn't it didn't always know I, I actually i did i did speak to a couple of charities about him uh, before she died um you know to try and understand how best to deal with the sort of dying you know with rachel dying how best to handle uh, to handle that because she wanted to die at home and how best to deal with that uh, given that he was obviously there as well and and one really good bit of advice because i'd i'd been i'd been imagining that i didn't you know didn't really want him to see her as you know in the last sort of couple of days you know when it gets a little bit you know it doesn't it isn't so nice to see um to someone look very different and and sort of behave very different and um but actually somebody said to me um don't hide anything from him make sure that you take pictures of, of the two of them together because in you know when he's older he'll want to know what happened he'll want to know why he wasn't there he'll want to you know he'll want to uh, know all the all the answers and i think that was you've know, got a really beautiful picture of of them giving each other a little kiss on the on the lips you know when they were i think it was a day before she died or something there was a little yeah beautiful picture of them together and and i think without the advice that i got it was i think it was from winston's wish maybe the charity um uh, without the advice from them i think i you know wouldn't have done that i'd have kept him well away uh, but yeah i'm, I'm very uh, very grateful i didn't do that steve can i ask obviously you are surrounded now by cancer patients and i know deb's had a really scary time recently with sepsis and things how does it feel being around people that are going through the same things that Rachel went through, but also knowing that at some stage, you know, you are going to lose other people in your life and have to go through that grief all over again? Like, is that something that you think about and know that you're going to have to deal with? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think about it all the time, actually. Yeah, it, it, it's. Um, I've yeah. It's very difficult. It's very difficult and 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 I. Yeah, you know, I've been very lucky in in the last few years to make some wonderful friends in in the sort of cancer community, and you know what kind of one thing that kind of joins most people that kind of share their stories is that they aren't in a great place. The majority of people who you know, go through the chemotherapy and then and then want to get on with their lives, they don't really talk about it. They don't, you know, they're not they're not sort of part of this community that you know we've sort of built up and. You know, the last sort of the last two or three years we have you know we've lost some really good friends we've lost some you know lost some amazing people and i know that's gonna you know that's gonna carry on happening and um i guess uh, i guess the the you know the wonderful benefits that well not benefits that's the wrong word but the 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 joy that you get from meeting these people and 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 becoming friends with them you know 
is 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 worth the pain you know that you know, that comes at the end and and um my dad said to me actually when when rachel died he said you want to get as far away from cancer as possible just don't you don't even you know it shouldn't even be in your life anymore and and i and i just remember saying to my dad i, I don't really think i can do that you know i think you know i've got in you know, rachel kind of um you know rachel gave me a really a really great opportunity to hopefully try and help some people to try and you know do some good and 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 try and um you know get some good out of out of what happened to rachel and what's happened to us as a family is 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 to try and use that experience to help other people so as you know as hard as it is and i know as hard as it's going to be you know in the future as well it's i i you know i love it i love i love the people that we speak to i love you know, I love the stuff that we do. I love the work that we do. I love the, you know, I love the messages from people that say, you know, say that we're helping them. And, 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 and you know, we started uh, uh, planning the podcast when Rachel started planning it, you know, whenever it was, uh, four years ago or so. It was, it, it, it was all about helping one person. And if it helped one person, then it was, you know, then it was worth it. If it helped one person feel a bit less alone, you know, a bit less like they were, the only one going through that experience then you know it was worth it and i kind of still feel the same way that if you know if we can help just you know just one person feel if i can help one you know one bereaved you know one bereaved husband feel like he's you know like he's not alone then it's you know, i think it's it's worth it yeah definitely i know some male healthcare professionals and some patients that i've spoken to they do listen to the podcast and they do really value your input and as you said as kind of a male perspective and it's something to sort of look up to in a way so it's really nice um, i suppose to sort of round off a very very open and honest chat do you have any sort of top tips at all steve for sort of any patients or friends i don't know um healthcare professionals who are listening Oh, I don't know. Um, I, 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 it's difficult because everyone's experience is so different, isn't it? You know, and, and my experience was very, very, very different to even somebody else whose you know, wife died from triple negative breast cancer. I've met plenty of them. Um, I, I think one thing that I'd love us to all just get a bit more comfortable with talking about death. <clears throat> and that's not just patients. It's not just, you know, families of patients. It's, you know, people in your profession as well, you know, because uh, we came across <clears throat> an awful lot of people in in the medical profession that you know just didn't want to talk about it they would fudge it they would use silly words you know, they wouldn't tell you exactly what you wanted to know and i know there's a different you know not all patients want to know everything that you need you need to have a a way of speaking to people that it gives them what they need but there are an awful lot of patients that you know want open honest chat <clears throat> and 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 I didn't always, you know, we didn't always get that, and, and I think it is because, as, as a society, you know, including, including medical professionals, you know, we're just we're just a bit rubbish at talking about death, which is daft. You know, there's there's a bit in, in Catherine Mannix's wonderful book, um, you know, comparing, um, you know, giving birth and dying, and you know how much effort goes into you know, our entry into the world and how little we're willing to, you know, even, you know, 
talk about the other end and 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 I think for people in Rachel's position that made you know that made her life really 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 difficult so yeah not really a top tip but just just a wish that you know we'd all just get a bit better at a bit better at talking about dying I have to say I think that's an amazing top tip and the bit about personalized care is absolutely fundamental which Naaman and I are really passionate about but it isn't one size fits all and it's not about learning a process or a tick box exercise of I've done this and this as from a healthcare professional's perspective it is so important to have those conversations and listen and respond accordingly to what the needs are for the patients but also obviously the carers and the relatives that are going through all of this at the same time I think it's so important so thank you for highlighting that my pleasure I think that about death is very interesting. Um, where I'm from in India, we talk about it all the time. My grandma will always bring it up in every phone call we have every Sunday at some point. Um, it's a very open and honest conversation in my house. Um, but I think it's something that would be nice to see more often, as you said. Um, yeah, it's just going to happen to us all, isn't it? You know, you know, and it might happen tomorrow. It might happen in 50 years. You know, whatever it is. And I think it's, you know, people don't even talk about it was um rachel's uh, uh rachel's dad had esophageal cancer he he died about th- uh, three years before rachel and and when rachel asking her mum did you talk about whether you want to be cremated or buried and she's like, oh no no we never talked about that it's like well, <laughs> you know he was ill for about about a year and a half and they never had those conversations and, and and i think it just you know write a will you know have difficult conversations talk about that kind of thing because you know, for from on my side of my side of it, you know, I knew exactly what Rachel wanted, and on Rachel's side, she, you know, she's confident that I, you know, I've got things sorted, and we don't have to have these last-minute conversations. And um, you know, we had time. You know, I know that not everyone has time to say what they want to say, but if you do, you know, use it and and and, and try and get your head around what's happening as much as you possibly can, because I think it helps all all parties. Although, Steve, my mum would say that I talk about death far too much, largely because I've picked out the jewellery that I want. And I always say, you have written in your will, haven't you, mum? And she's like, Joe. sometimes you ask me about kind of how I want the funeral and things. And other times she goes, it's purely materialistic and you're after a piece of jewellery. But it is, it is maybe using that lighthearted conversation to start those conversations yeah, yeah. and making sure yeah. everyone knows. I know Naaman and I have had a discussion about it my grandmother and I had a really deep conversation. I was just really lucky. Fate had it that I was there in her last hours of kind of consciousness where she really was making decisions. And that's all we spoke about is her funeral, her death plan. And every, and all my family had always closed those conversations going, Joe, yeah. stop having these conversations. But I knew how important it was. And um, yeah. she, she did, she squeezed my hand and she goes, I know you're going to get it covered and you'll make sure that all of these go through. And my family were adamant that there's no way she would have asked for Queen as the kind of song <laughs> that she left um, in the in the church. They were like, did she really, like how much drugs was she on? When she, I said, no, <laughs> she definitely wanted it. This is what we discussed. Yeah, um, yeah we had the same thing. We sat and were sitting in bed one night, Rachel had, a, had an A4 pad and she was just, you know, writing out what she wanted a funeral to look like, and and I think back now, think back now and and it, it feels like a like a really bizarre conversation to have, and and you know, but but you know, it just I knew that it was important to her, so it, you know, 
<clears throat> it was a it wasn't an easy conversation to have, but it was an important one. And I think, you know, then when you know after she died, we knew exactly what she wanted. You know, there was no ambiguity at all. <clears throat> and that that extends to you know my life now. I I know that I know that everything I'm doing now. You know, she'd be really proud, and she'd be she'd be really 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 thrilled because she told me, because because she told me that that's that's what she wanted me to do. So I think a lot of people you know, without going too much into it when it comes to things like things like finding finding love after you've lost a partner. Um if you've not had those conversations before someone dies, then I think it's really difficult to do you'd be doing anything knowing you've got their blessing. But if you you know, which I think is really important. But I I know so for anybody, you know, I've had you know, very few, but you know, one or two messages and one or two comments on on like newspaper articles or whatever, you know, having a pop at me for various things, and <clears throat> I'm 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 totally clear that I'm 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 doing everything with Rachel's blessing because we talked about it because we, you know, we were very open about it. So, um, yeah, I think it's you know, super important. Yeah, and you don't really owe anyone an explanation, Steve. I mean, it's your no, story, no, as you no, said. Definitely, not. yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, some people ask for one sometimes, but yeah. Yeah, and Joe, thank you for sharing a sharing story about your grandma. Um, it's nice to hear, and we're quite lucky, aren't we, Joe? Character. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I get, get it from, or this uh, kind of wanted to be on a podcast. She'd have loved it. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're, we're quite lucky as well, Steve. We are going to on at some point next year, um, so that'll be quite yeah. a nice conversation to have, or hopefully yeah, a little bit of a series. <clears throat> yeah, Catherine's fab. Catherine, um, in 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 the week before Rachel died, I was messaging Catherine a lot and and just saying, "This is happening. Is this normal? You know, what should I be looking for next? You know, what do I do if this happens?" Just she, you know, she kind of held my hand a lot in the last in the last week of Rachel's life, and yeah, she's um, yeah, she's been a big supporter of ours ours on the podcast, and she's been on the podcast a couple of times herself and and yeah she's you know she's fantastic so if anybody listening hasn't read a book it's um it's fantastic two books now she's done two books hasn't she now two books yeah yeah very much steve been very very open and honest very informative lots of really nice themes to talk about and hopefully for our listeners as well um so yeah so thank you for everyone for listening to rad chat um your hosts today have been uh, Joe McNamara and named Joe Cranston. Uh, a huge thank you, Steve Bland. Um, if you're utilizing this podcast for CBD purposes, consider the reflective questions posted along with the links to any resource and literature cast to receive your accredited CBT CPD digital badge. Please complete the Google form linked with the podcast. Uh, our next guest to feature will be Professor Heidi Prost, another therapeutic radiography legend. Um, so thank you, Steve. Thank you, Joe. Um, thanks thank for you. listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.